And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So, you know my passion for the Wild West. If you've watched any of my, my recent uh, podcast on American whiskey, or the one on the Colt Revolver, or even the one I did on the interesting characters of the Wild West, you'll know that I'm enamored with this point in history. You also may know that I love horror movies. And so, it turns out that there is a genre that combines both of these. Uh, it's the Oreo cookie of storytelling, and that is the Weird West. It's a supernatural uh, horror, sometimes science fiction elements woven into a Wild West story. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you know, for my Halloween episode, I've got David Boop on the show, who is a master of the Weird West and has written, he's compiled several anthologies and wrote a great book called The Drowned Horse Chronicles, which comes out later. Later this month, which is just a fantastic book about the Wild West. And hopefully we're going to talk about some of these other cross-genres, you know, I mean, science fiction and noir. He's also written a book called Murdered Me With Science that takes those elements into play. So it's not just the Weird West, but it's Halloween, so we got to focus on, on the horror. And we're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff today, so let's get into it. David, boop, thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, I, I got to ask one question of you, though. You know, we're talking about, you know, Wild West es expert. Weird Wild West is something we're going to get into. Right. But there's something else I wanted to, to, to mention right off the bat here, David. And my research pulled up a very interesting family history that you may or may not be aware of. But most notably that your great grandfather was the first person to ever touch a dog's nose and make a sound, which is how we got the term booping. Um, can right. you verify that? Have you heard that before? Is there anything that you can add to that story? So, um, no, I can't. But I do have I, – I did have a great aunt, Betty. So mm -hmm. uh, what it is is I'm actually descended from cartoon royalty. 0.000001% of every Betty Boop item sold goes uh -huh. to me, which means wow. I get a check for about 50 cents every – every six months or so. <laughs> so <laughs> Holy cow. That's incredible. Uh, and most people, and completely I don't think made up and completely yeah, made up just so we're clear. <laughs> yeah, completely. Well, I, yeah, I imagine so, but I'm glad that you, that you said that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the weird, weird West is, is a subgenre. We're going to talk about that, but there's a couple other questions. I want to get to know you a little bit, David, before we sure. dive into that wacky world. Sure. Uh, you mentioned in a, there's a lot of things that, that you're into, one of which is that in one of your interviews, you said you were a DJ. I'm curious, what kind of music did you DJ? And did you wear one of those big helmets like uh, Marshmallow? Not that kind of DJ. <laughs> okay. So, so this was um, before the club DJ um, that we mm -hmm. know now where DJ took on a um, an evolution. Um, 
this uh, type of DJing was more like Johnny Fever uh, and WKRP. So uh, I get that reference, but that that definitely goes back. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, actually, I Johnny called Fever. myself the Johnny Fever of the '90s because I got fired from oh. a radio station for saying the word urinate on the air. Um, oh. And and when the owner called me in and says, "You can't use language like that." And I'm like, oh, great. I'm getting fired for basically saying booger. Right. So <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so, yeah, no, I, w- I was and I was a triple threat. Uh, triple threat oh. is somebody who is on the radio, has yeah. a mobile DJ rig and does dances at high schools or bar mitzvahs or whatever. And I was sure. a nightclub DJ. So I also spun. Um, mostly like dance stuff, uh, and so forth. But as far as the type of music, when you're a DJ, you have to play it all. You, you mm-hmm. know, I went to, I went to broadcasting school. I went to, uh, <clears throat> let's see if I can get this right. Trans-American School of Broadcasting, where you two can learn from the professionals who've been fired from the field of radio and television. So, That's uh, pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I did, uh, a couple, a couple of, uh, years at a broadcasting school, uh, and then, um, I went on the radio and also work nightclubs and stuff like that, you know. So and then eventually I opened up my own business, which was Long Shot Productions. If it was a mm-hmm. good production, it was a long shot. And mm-hmm. uh, did that for many, many years. Uh, really enjoyed it. And then somebody broke into my van, stole all my equipment, and I decided to do something else. So <laughs> By necessity, so, obviously. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, so, yeah. So, you know, as far as what I like to spin – um, yeah. I'm definitely a classic rock guy, uh, especially if I mm-hmm. can throw some prog rock in there. Give me some sure. 80s hair, hair band metal, uh, yeah. baby metal, as they now call it. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that time. You know, we did a, did a lot of uh, concerts, did a lot of interviews. Um, mm-hmm. I interviewed uh, some really awesome people, including this uh, uh, blues man. Um, Mm. and, and like he was old school blues, right? Okay. And he was talking about, um, uh, his daughter was getting into acting and he said, you know, or his granddaughter, sorry, his granddaughter was getting into acting. He said, so, you know, I, I decided I would go along with her and audition as well. We come as a package so that way I can be there to protect her from Hollywood and all that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, great. What kind of roles? Uh, have you, uh, have you done? And he goes, well, I, I, uh, I did an escape slave and he goes, and I did a, a drug dealer. And I mm-hmm. said, and they say there's no typecasting for, uh, blues musicians in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know that, <laughs> you know, that old, yeah. uh, blues, uh, language that he spoke so well. So yep. it was called yep. the captain, the captain and his crew. So wow. yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, but I've done a lot of interviews and, um, with musicians, I've done them with actors and so forth. Sure. So. Uh, I enjoy that whole process. Well, so you mentioned acting, and that's another thing I wanted to get to, is you mentioned that you were an actor, I think, in your bio page on yep. your website. Uh, so what acting have, have you done? I mean, were you with – did you come as a third package deal? Did you sneak in there and become a trio? No, 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 nothing like that. Okay. Um, so <laughs> this is a little embarrassing, but uh, – I love it. So I worked for a company called Party Animals. And what Party Animals was, was a a costumed 
um, performer company where mm-hmm. you could get like um, big head costume characters to come to your children's birthday party. Okay. And in, in, in and during that time, well, I, I suppose I should explain party animals did not want to pay licenses for these costumes. So they okay. changed the names. So instead of Mickey and Minnie, it was Mr. and Mrs. Mouse. <laughs> instead of Barney, it was the big purple dinosaur. Uh-huh. Instead of uh, Winnie the Pooh, it was Honey Bear and mm-hmm. stuff like that, right? Sure. right. So... Um, but some other things that they did is they would hire out for like um, different shows and things of that nature. And mm-hmm. so there was this um, there was this uh, steak place up in Fort Collins, Colorado, that mm-hmm. wanted to do a uh, a Saturday show, or sorry, Sunday family show. It was Sunday was family day, and they wanted us to put on one act gunfights. So I okay. wrote and acted oh, in several one-act gunfights. Um, the the first one was um, um, I was um, Bad Breath Bart, Minus Ombre, uh, north of the Santa Fe, which oh. of course the Santa Fe does not have a north because it's right. you know, yeah. So uh, <laughs> so um, and uh, then later on I did a play on uh, Brett Mavic. Brett Maverick, I was Brent Monte Carlo. So, uh-huh. okay. Um, cause like Maverick's a car. So it's a Monte Carlo. So, you know, I figured sure. it would. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I acted in that. I also played many different characters over the five years I was with them. I was like a greaser one time for a show. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a nuclear ranger, not a power ranger. I was a nuclear <laughs> ranger. Um, but then I also created a lot of my own characters like, um, uh, Bupo the clown, mm-hmm. uh, the great Bupini, uh, was a magician mm-hmm. that I, mm-hmm. or no, the amazing Dave, I, Bupini mm-hmm. didn't work with people. So we had the yeah. amazing Dave, um, and so forth. So yeah, I, uh, oh, and, oh, I should also mention I was a professional oh. Beetlejuice for, for a couple of years. <laughs> really? Yes. So, um, <laughs> so I made a Beetlejuice contest, uh, costume for a Beetlejuice lookalike contest that a local movie theater in Colorado Springs was putting on. And I won a year's worth of uh, free passes for the movie theater. My costume Mm -hmm. was, was really, really good. Um, that Halloween, um, at a local nightclub, they were doing a win a trip to Vegas for the best costume. So I put Mm -hmm. on, I did my Beetlejuice. I went in, did all my Beetlejuice stuff and I won a trip to Vegas. The, radio station putting it on hired me the next year to host next two years to host their haunted house as Beetlejuice. So I would be, sometimes I would go in and I would, uh, uh, escort people through and make comments and stuff like that. And I knew when to step Uh away just as the, the scare was coming out and stuff like that. Right. Right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I did Beetlejuice for several years um, as a uh, as a host. The host <laughs> with the most, babe. So right. Yeah. So, wow, say that's say it twice. Times <laughs> charm. So <laughs> that's pretty impressive. I don't I, now. My research didn't bring that up. That's a great uh, being a professional Beetlejuice. You are the first professional Beetlejuice I've ever had on the show. So, Thank you. so that, I've actually that met something. two others. 
uh, which is funny. But, um, I met um, a guy who did it here in Denver while I was doing yeah. it at the Springs. And I met mm-hmm. a guy who actually worked at uh, Elidge Gardens when they had – when Warner Brothers uh, – Elidge Gardens is our local amusement park. Mm-hmm. And uh, Warner Brothers at one point owned or was sponsoring – uh, the amusement park. So they had like Batman stuff and Looney Tunes and they had a Beetlejuice show. And I actually met the guy who did that. So that's great. Well, I mean, what I love about that is it combines ghosts, the supernatural, Mm -hmm. you did gunfights, you got the wild West and then bada bing, bada boom, you're doing weird Western books along with several others. Uh, the way I kind of stumbled across you is a little interesting. And Mm -hmm. I, I bring it up because I think you might, you might, you might get something out of it. So I get a newsletter about upcoming books. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's basically, it comes out every two weeks or something, and I look through all the books and figure out what's new, what sounds interesting. And so I saw this book called Straight Out of Deadwood. Right. And it was kind of like this, it's got like this zombie kind of, um, uh, you know, woman of the night on the cover. Yeah, it's it's flashing in and out, like you're coming in and out of existence. Uh, you're, um, there you go. If you're oh, looking yeah, at the I video version, it, that's it. Right it. up by my face. That's how Right by your work. face. That's the book, straight out of Deadwood. Yep. And I, so I kind of grabbed it on a lark. I thought maybe this might be interesting to check out. Uh, and I don't think I actually read it. I, I, I get kind of backed up with books. And so my, unfortunately, the fun stuff I get to do gets put off. But eventually I came around to it about two or three years later. And I, I loved it. This I'd never read a Weird West book. I knew about Deadlands as a role-playing system. We'll get into that later on. I knew it. Right. So I knew it existed. But I read it and I thought this was so such a great book. And you you edited it, you put everything, you know, put the whole the whole anthology together. And basically it's a bunch of short stories set in the in the Weird West um, as one book. There's no interconnecting story, but lots of great individual stories. And so that's how I kind of stumbled upon you, stumbled upon the Weird West. And you know, you wrote this other great book since we're talking about books. Uh, the Drowned Horse Chronicles, and you know, I think I've probably read more of your books than I have for any other interview. <laughs> I think, nice. uh, I, I think so because I've read, I read all the straight outas. I read Drowned Horse Chronicles, and I read She Murdered Me with Science. But anyway, Dr- the De- Drowned Horse Chronicles is an anthology, but all the individual stories that you've written for other places, you kind of compiled them into this book as a compendium for part one of this big long story and I was hooked David Thank uh you. so so I'm I'm very impressed I can't wait to talk about this so tell me a little bit about how that book came to be straight out of Deadwood I think it has an interesting backstory right. and then let's talk about you know um we'll talk about the weird west and crossover genres in general I didn't set out to write westerns or weird westerns or anything I actually thought I was going to be a mystery writer at first um hmm. I read mostly science fiction and fantasy, but I felt when I started writing um, that uh, I didn't have the skill set for it. I didn't. Hmm. I didn't think I, I. I wasn't a scientist, or I didn't know sciency things. Uh, and as far as fantasy goes, you know, I felt like you know, at the time, I felt like everything had been said about fantasy. So I'm like. I'll write mysteries, right? Okay. And yeah. so I was looking for opportunities to write mysteries. And uh, the late Tony Hillerman uh, had a writing conference. And at the writing conference, they had a writing contest. And it was the Tony Hillerman's uh, Western Mystery uh, Short Story Contest. And so I said, oh, I'll write something. 
And so I wrote this this story about a gunfighter who wakes up dead and his ghost has to solve his own murder. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really clever. Um, The contest, not so much, right? They were looking for something a little bit more traditional. But a friend (laughs) of mine that I had made um, had – he – I was telling him about it and he said, oh, uh, that's exactly the kind of thing I publish in my magazine. Hmm. And he goes, we love weird westerns. And I said, weird western? What's a weird western? He says, well, Hmm. basically anytime you cross over another genre with a western – it becomes a weird Western. Um, now, Paul Green has uh, a little bit more specific uh, mm-hmm. definitions, breaks them down. Uh, most people, if you like, you go, oh, it's a space Western. Oh, it's a this Western or it's this Western, right? It's like you lose people. So weird Western mm-hmm. is a, just a great overall catch-all for everything. And, and I want to I pause you a second. So Paul Green wrote a book called The Encyclopedia of the Weird Western, I believe. Yeah, and that's actually who you reached out to me to like – Right, right. You, you sent me an email saying Paul Green was dead, which was the first time I had heard about it. And yeah, I, and, and yeah, I, I have did. researched it since. Yeah. And there's no mention of his death anywhere. Um, I reached out to the publisher and they also confirmed that that they said that they heard he was dead. But mm-hmm. somebody's still posting on his Twitter feed. So mm-hmm. uh, and not like in memoriam sort of stuff, but there's like no mention of him being dead on his Twitter uh, and stuff like that. So I thought it was kind of weird. Um, but um, but yeah, so uh, you said, you know, who's the next level authority in weird Westerns? And mm. and I'm like, well, kind of you me. nominated your, you nominated yourself. Yeah, I nominated yeah, myself. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily that I know all about weird Westerns. I certainly don't. I'm learning stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. But right now, if you look who's publishing or editing the most amount of weird Western stuff, mm-hmm. um, that's me. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I've got yeah. the novel. I've got three anthologies. I'm doing three space Western anthologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the I've got the cred. I got the street cred for it. So, sure. uh, but yeah, I had not intended to. But that that first story uh, brought the attention of another editor who did a magazine called Science Fiction Trails. And he said, I loved your story in Tales of the Talisman. And he goes, can you write me a story for my magazine? And so I did. And I decided to set it in the same fictional town called Drowned Horse. Mm -hmm. And uh, Drowned Horse is uh, based on Dead Horse, which is a park in Cottonwood, Arizona. uh, Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful park, by the way. Now that you've mentioned it, I'll put up pictures because I've gone there. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, yeah, I used to it's live just a couple miles from it. So okay, all right. So, oh, so yeah. there, so there is. Uh, I yeah. don't think you've ever admitted that that this might be based on a town around there. Is that so? So I often say, um, any resemblance to a town I may or may not have lived in mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is purely coincidental to protect the innocent or the me. Uh, right. So. <laughs> right. So that's interesting. So that uh, that is yes. where that's where it came in. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, so and, and, what, and, then, and while you're mentioning that, I, I, just for myself, that story you talk about, where a, a gunfighter has to solve his own murder, right? Uh, I believe the um, uh, that was in. It was also put in How the West Was Weird, which is another book, yep. and that's the first introduction that I heard of the Ragdoll Kid. 
Right. And after finishing your Drowned Horse Chronicles, you you get introduced later in that, that book about the Ragdoll Kid. And then I connected the two, and I felt like I'd found an Easter egg. So, right. uh, you know, hook, line, and sinker, you got me, David. So, so writing writing the the what's now called the murder of the ragdoll kid originally it was just called mm-hmm. the ragdoll kid but now mm-hmm. i i changed it when i got it when it was reprinted to the murder of the ragdoll kid um but he, he doesn't die he's the killer no not to spoil anything but is the ragdoll kid the one who dies yeah the story that you read in how the west yeah. was weird yeah uh, yeah he's a ghost I thought he was the one who killed the guy who becomes the ghost. I have to go back. I read it a, about six weeks ago, so I apologize. Right. Yeah. But I thought the rag. Oh, so oh my god! So that's the end of the ragdoll kid. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which is spoiler not, alert. Yeah. No. I, I well, and I'm glad this is off record. So, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I wrote that story, um, sinking to the level of demons, for an anthology called um, Penny Dread Tales. Volume four, okay. and it was All reprinted right. in the best of Benny Dread tales as well. I wrote the Red Devil, and then it was like five years later. I wrote the the story that sets up the Ragdoll Kid. However, when I when I was working on the Drowned Horse Chronicle, I'm like, yeah, I need more to this, right? Mm-hmm. I need more to this. I mention in that uh, original version of the story you're talking about. Um, that he had mentored under a great sheriff, but I had not actually written that sheriff yet when I wrote mm-hmm. that story. Right. And oh, so, okay. yeah, so later on, as as requests started rolling in for more drowned horse stories from the the various editors and anthologists and so forth, as I got more and more requests, I started building people. I started building characters that were existing in this world. And then I had to build different timelines. So uh, knowing how you write a story, I built a three-act structure for Drowned Horse. And Mm -hmm. the idea was that um, there would be this beginning where we are introduced to uh, Sheriff uh, Levi Forrest. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We eventually meet uh, William Ragsdale, uh, and characters like owner and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Characters I knew that were going to show up repeatedly through the various volumes. And from there, I was like, wow, I've got like a dozen of these stories published. I really need to start figuring out how to get them in order. So I started building yeah. timelines and I started doing a lot more research, such mm-hmm. as like what were the tribes that were there? It wasn't yeah, enough to yeah. just say Indians, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not today, not anymore, right? You have to be specific. You have to be specific about the tribes. You have to know about the tribes. If you're going to write uh, mm-hmm. a Native American, right, you mm-hmm. can't do anything that could come back and haunt you. Um, you've got to do your research. So I have a whole... Well, also, well, let me say something else to that, because not only do you have to do research, but the way you describe them in the book, they they have an interplay, right? Like, what I really enjoyed about the, the, the Drawn Horse Chronicles is that it's very deep. There's a lot of levels to it. There's things going on, because the story doesn't follow a chronological... It's roughly chronological, but each story is its own story. Right. But in the background, you can feel there are these other conflicts 
going on. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just read another one of your stories last night, right before this interview, where three brothers go to become a vampire um, to rob a bank. And I realize that everyone in that story, it takes place in Drowned Horse, but we haven't been introduced to any of them. Um, and so I realized, oh, that's the sheriff. That's going to be a sheriff that's coming up, you know? Um, so I imagine that, you know, with people that are interested in all of your stories and have read them individually before, right. they must be pretty excited about you tying them together because you do leave a lot of little nuggets. And, and I think people really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, you know, the three or four fans that have followed me, um, well, no, five now you got me five. I'm in there. You got five. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, got you. Um, no, this, because it's been so scattered, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had drowned horse stories published in major, publications, right? Pro publications. And I've also had them published in anthologies. I never saw a dime for, um, Mm -hmm. that really, because they never earned out, they never got publicized things of that nature. Right. Um, you know, I could show you like, you know, I got a, a shelf over here filled with, with weird Western anthologies I'm in. Um, Mm. so finding somebody who has, followed along has actively sought out drowned horse stories, um, is very hard because I haven't like branded them, right? Like drowned Mm. horse is mentioned in the story, but it doesn't say on the title, a drowned horse story. Right. So nobody would be looking for these. Right. Um, and, and as it turned out, there was one person who showed up at a steampunk convention this weekend I was at, um, (laughs) and he had about six of the different anthologies Really, and probably the first time I've met somebody with that many of them, uh, all together. And it was, it was really cool. And so, yeah, it was, um. Uh, that was pretty cool. But as far as like Easter eggs go for a lot of people, this will be the the first time that they're getting exposed to drowned horse and Mm. going back to those original stories. I had to make a lot of changes. Like every one of those stories uh, uh, that are previously published have almost been completely rewritten from scratch Hmm. to make it fit within the continuity to, showcase my level of writing as it is now. Uh, yeah. cause some of those were published 15 years ago or, or yeah. around there. So I'm, a, I am hopefully a better writer now. So. You pulled, you pulled like a George Lucas, like you went back and you changed some things and, uh, to make it all fit in the current schema. Absolutely. That's exactly yeah. what I did. These are the special mm-hmm. editions, right? So, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. Well, so well, so let me ask you this about about weird westerns because what I kind of like about them is I've always been attracted to horror, supernatural. You know, that's probably my favorite genre. Mm-hmm. You know, recently I've really gotten into westerns, and right. so I, you know, I'm watching all the old classics. I didn't grow up loving them, so I got to discover them later, and mm-hmm. so I'm kind of discovering all the the new ones now. And so seeing them combined. Is really exciting. I remember I played Red Dead Redemption, which is a video. It's a Wild West video game, right. and they had this fantastic down, like it's called a DLC, down extra content you could download, and it was called uh, oh my god, I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but it was a Weird West add-on. Right. I didn't know of it as a Weird West add-on. I just thought it was oh, it's a zombie apocalypse. Uh, there's, you, you know, right. unicorns and the, the four horsemen, of the apocalypse and you're fighting right. Sasquatch, you know, like all those weird 
weird, weird elements were involved, but I didn't know I was playing that, but I knew I liked it. And I feel that like people listening to this who like Westerns, like horror, might not even know that this genre is out there. So I'm curious, how did you, like, were you a horror fan? Is that how you came to it? Or did you come to it from a different angle? I know you mentioned the the mysteries and everything, but the horror element, I think, is key to all of this, slash supernatural. So you have to to go back to some of the early... um, I watched a lot of the old serials. They were on Saturday afternoons, the movie serials. Mm-hmm. And they were on Saturday afternoons, and my parents, who were very busy, often plopped me in front of the TV. And as long as I was watching TV, I was quiet and un- and, and not underfoot, right? Yeah. And, That's a very specific generational thing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that was, yeah, it's Gen X for sure. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, by the time we get to my generation, we're plopping our kids down in front of a video game. <laughs> right, and tablets, yeah, yeah, yeah. Underfoot. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. completely different. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, I watched a lot of these old serials and several of them are weird Westerns, right? Mm-hmm. We've got, um, uh, Valley of the Guanji, which is the famous cowboys riding on dinosaurs, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you, yeah, you have to check it out. So uh, ba- it's kind of a lost world. A bunch of cowboys and explorers go into this valley and mm-hmm. dinosaurs still exist. And mm-hmm. there's a famous scene. It's a Harry, uh, uh, Ray Harryhausen. Uh, mm-hmm. with a cowboy on a riding a T-Rex, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was a yeah. T-Rex. Now I'm not sure. Um, but it's a famous scene where they like lasso the dinosaur and, and get on and, and Bronco bust him, right? Sure. So, um, but there was other ones, right? The Undersea Kingdom and uh, mm-hmm. uh, several others. Plus, you know, Wild Wild West, don't forget that. That's like the most well, classic example. Let's or get into it? I'm jump sorry. ahead. Right. Let's not jump okay, ahead. Okay, sorry, sorry, right. sorry, sorry. So we have these movie serials uh, that that I I loved. And then eventually Mm. there was the Wild Wild West, you know, reruns occasionally because they would swap stuff out for a while. It would be lost in space. And then they Mm. would swap in like Wild Wild West and so forth. So uh, Wild Wild West, I absolutely loved, uh, enjoyed that. Uh, Not the TV movies as much, but definitely the TV series. Uh, And I loved that. And then I filed it away. Mm-hmm. filed it away because I moved on to Star Wars and I moved on to science fiction and I moved on to epic fantasy and both in my reading and my viewing, right? So yeah. I moved away from the, the Western in general. And, and, and for a while, I just like, other than your occasional things like a Silverado or a Tombstone or Unforgiven, mm-hmm. you know, there was occasionally I would watch a, a Western, but for the most part, um, if it didn't have ray guns and robots and aliens or yeah. orcs or dragons, I wasn't <laughs> interested. Right. Yeah. So right. this whole thing happens. Right. And I start going back and rewatching and reconnecting with that child in me. Mm-hmm. I start reconnecting with the idea of, you know, I loved these uh, I loved them very much, and and I actually got a bunch of them at the time. Um, I was still watching stuff on Laserdisc, and I got a bunch of stuff on Laserdisc um, yeah. that was out of print in America. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then as DVDs and and they started putting out stuff on DVDs, I was buying up you know entire libraries of stuff, and uh, and rewatching it and just 
falling back in love with the idea of the weird Western. And um, every time I get to write one of these stories, I feel like I am writing for that kid sitting in front of the TV uh, watching a cowboy ride a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you will see. So, you know, horror never really played a huge part of it because this isn't, I mean, there are horrific elements, right? Weird mm -hmm. Westerns, horror, you know, we look at the Stephen King and the Dark Tower and we look at a lot of this stuff, uh, tremors, you know, and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. We have this great connection with the West and horror. Um, I, I, I think mine tend to lean more towards dark fantasy and less horrific stuff. So okay, I can what see you're going to find yeah. is you're going to find, you know, there's a darkness, but mm -hmm. what you're not going to find is the graphic, uh, nature of horror. You're going to find mm. more of the psychological nature of horror. So, Got it. yeah, I, I find it interesting. You mentioned tremors. I never even thought of that as a weird West. It kind of, it's more like a, like a modern Neo West, but it, that's interesting. I didn't think Oh, about it is that. totally a weird Western. Yes. Yeah, it's set in yeah. modern day, but it is a weird Western. Yeah, so much sure. so that, you know, they made a whole bunch of sequels, right? Yeah. So yeah. number four goes back yeah. to the origin of the Graboids and the town. And, uh, I gotta put uh, that on my must view list. I'm gonna oh, write it's, that down. Oh, it's hilarious and wonderful. And it's everything you could <laughs> ever want in a weird Western. Michael yeah. Gross is in it playing his ancestor. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately no Reba McIntyre. Oh, um, I love Reba. Yeah. Oh, I love Reba McIntyre. Yeah, so great. it's so crazy. To be, I had a Reba McIntyre poster in my, in my apartment and somebody <laughs> says, I didn't know you like country music. And I said, she sings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah, as far as, uh, as far as the, the, the whole thing, it is, it is clearly a weird Western and mm -hmm. you will find that in volume two, um, mm -hmm. There is an homage to Tremors um, because the Graboids in Tremors are actually based on a real cryptid. And so because it's a real cryptid or, you know, real cryptid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Documented cryptid. Um, I, I could do an homage without being a copy or parodying and stuff like that. So. You mean volume two of Drowned Horse Chronicles? Volume two of the Drowned Horse oh, Chronicles. I love it. We're already pitching volume two, which I can't wait for. Now, I will say, uh, in the middle of your shameless plug, I'm going to interrupt it with my shameless plug, my other podcast, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, Gear-Based Technologies. We actually... Uh, with a couple of scientists talk about uh, the graboids. That's right. that's a subject of one of our episodes, which which, which is a yeah. lot of fun. Uh, also, you know, my other Halloween episode I did just before this was on Kolchak, oh. and I mentioned that because Kolchak's interesting because that was the first time supernatural elements were in some ways brought into a quasi police procedural, right? And that's where supernatural kind of you know it started its tentacles going in that way. And I like that you know you mentioned uh, you know you mentioned sitting in front of the TV in another interview that I heard you do, uh, you talk about how Star Wars was your first impression, uh, first obsession, but then you got into the Chronicles of Narnia, Agatha Christie mysteries. And so you were kind of, you know, um, you had this stew of genres around in which you were, you know, you were kind of cooked and 
you've done a lot of crossover genres. So, you know, Weird West was kind of my entree point into these cross-genre subgenres, I guess. Right. There's probably a better term for this, but you do a lot of them. Um, you know, there's the Weird West, there's science fiction noir, which is your other book, She Murdered Me With Science, uh, the sci-fi West, which can kind of be the Weird West as well, but, you know, it, in some ways it's it's also very distinct because yeah, space, of the... Space, space Westerns. Space Westerns um, are a genre yeah. all to their own that definitely yes. is separate from weird Western. You could have yeah. a science fiction element in a weird Western, right? We see that in mm -hmm. Cowboys and Aliens, right? That's mm -hmm. not a space Western. That's a weird Western with science yeah. fiction elements. But then you right. take Firefly. Firefly is clearly a space Western. It's it's non-terrestrial non, uh, in, in that it's not mm -hmm. set on Earth. It's right. elsewhere. Um, yeah. But you got films like Outland and so forth as well with Sean Connery. That is mm -hmm. a space western. So yes, it is. It is definitely different than than a weird western. And, and but a lot of these, and they're all very specific. And you know, steampunk is kind of adjacent to all of this. I did a whole episode on my other podcast about steampunk as well, and that technology, which in and of itself is also very distinct and science fictiony. But anyway, I, I really enjoyed these cross genre subgenres and you know uh I, I always I, I wonder like how they came to be and I want to get your take on this. I'm gonna give you my impression first is that in some ways, especially with the Western, is there were people were so until we landed on the moon, everyone was so into the West. And it, you know, as a as a as a movie genre, it kind of went through the whole arc of being new and being popular and then being parodied and then becoming, um, you know, out of favor and then being brought back as a, you know, kind of postmodern. It's kind of gone through the whole thing, but everyone's told these stories over and over again. We understand the characters, you know, we kind of get them. It becomes formulaic, especially when you get to like John Wayne Westerns. Uh, but, but I think in some ways when you mash them up with a whole nother element – whether it's supernatural or science fiction, you get to breathe new life into it in a lot of ways. And that's how I felt with when, when you know, reading all of these anthologies by different authors was that they all felt like a Western. Like it was familiar enough to me, but also I didn't know what was going to happen because the new elements, even though I know about a horror, I don't know how it works in the West. And so I just became much more interested in the story. Now, I don't know if that's just me, if that's true, if that's how you feel, but what do you think about this and why they are so popular? Well, there's a lot there. Uh, I know. <laughs> so sorry. Sorry. All of that. Let me observe sorry. all of that. Right. Yeah. So basically what you're asking is why did we start doing cross genres and why they're so popular right now? Yeah. And, you know, and, and you can add that you can add urban fantasy in that you can paranormal detectives into that mm -hmm. sure. um, uh, romantic space opera. You know, I mean, there's. It's not that everything has ever that that in the core genre of a Western, right? It's mm -hmm. not that everything has been written. We've run out of story ideas, all right? You know, theory has. There's only so many story ideas to begin with, right? 12. There's 12, I think. 12, 13. Some people sure. say eight. Uh, some sure. people say three. Um, it just really depends on on uh, whose philosophy you want to follow, sure. right? Yeah. But um, – it's not that we've run out of good stories in those core genres. We see them all the time mm -hmm. pop up in different 
forms, right? It's that not ever. So, <laughs> okay. So let me go back to sci-fi noir for a moment to answer this question. Right. So when, when she murdered me with science first came out with a small publisher called uh, flying pen press, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to do two different versions of the book, different ISBNs, different covers and market mm. them to different people. I wanted to do a mystery version and market it to mystery people. And I wanted the mm. sci-fi version and market it to sci-fi people. Interesting. And okay. my publisher said something, it's probably the smartest thing he ever said. Um, cause, cause it was not a, a great experience, but, uh, <laughs> the smartest thing he ever said was, um, David, one ray gun equals science fiction. Yeah, that's right. right? I think he's and, right. And I, I, I've, uh, I've, I've used that many times. One robot equals science fiction, right? Yeah. One yeah. alien equals science fiction. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what other genre is combined with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in that regard, the reason why you say stuff like that is, number one, um, they need to be able to catalog the book, right, through all of the background <laughs> stuff, right? There's like a the, bureaucratic the, reason for this, if no there's other. There's a bureaucratic reason, <laughs> right. um, and it's called the BISAC, and, yeah. um, and it's what everybody, every bookstore uh, categorizes books by. They need sure. to know what category to put it in. Right. right. They also need to know from a marketing, the publisher needs to know from a marketing standpoint, yeah. what right. category to put it in. Right. Um, and sometimes there's some that defy categories. You take Outlander, right. By Diana Gabaldoon. Right. Mm -hmm. It is both a romance mm -hmm. and a time travel story. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so equally so that when I was a bookseller, we actually stocked it in both places. Right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mystery readers on a whole, do not read science fiction. They are mystery lovers first and foremost. They will read nonfiction. They will read romance and so forth. But most mystery readers, and, and they've done surveys on this, um, so I'm not talking out of my, my butt, mm -hmm. um, they like their fiction grounded in reality, right? Okay, yeah. Now you take a science fiction fantasy reader, they also like mystery, Right. Um, they yeah, can read yeah. a mystery and they can read a science fiction, but a person who grows up strictly on mystery has a hard time segueing over to the speculative, uh, the more speculative fictions, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the science fiction reader, the science fiction, the Western reader, even because we have ghost stories often in these even in these real Westerns, you'll mm -hmm. hear ghost stories and things of that nature, right? Um, they love more than just one genre. So giving yeah. them multiple genres gives them something that they didn't know they were looking for originally, right? Yeah, Steam that makes Punk. sense. Nobody, nobody knew how big steampunk was going to become, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because... It was a couple of books by a couple of authors, right? The uh, mm -hmm. Infernal Devices is 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 looked at as one of the the big. Um, right. You know, you can go back to Verne as well, but you know, when, when you go to Verne, he he wasn't writing uh, spe steampunk; he was writing contemporary <laughs> fiction, right? Right, so, right, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so in that regard, but um, but we look at we look at some of these books that came out. Um, 
right before the cyberpunk movement and we mm-hmm. and and we get we get the the phrase coined steampunk is actually older than cyber, cyberpunk uh, as far as the terminology goes and hmm. then you flash forward uh, many years and some people start cosplaying stuff from these books and people like the aesthetic and it grows and they didn't know they were going to like it so much until they were exposed to it. Right. And cross genres like that. We didn't know we were going to like vampire detectives until Mm -hmm. we exposed, we were exposed to it. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, it's everywhere or vampire romances or any of that stuff. We didn't know until we were exposed to it. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, these are two things I love. It's the Reese's yeah. peanut butter of fiction, right? Exactly right. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. right. So so that's where a lot of this comes from. It comes from the idea that people who like multiple genres will also generally, if written well, like cross genres, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's also a good gateway drug. Lots of people have given mystery readers my She Murdered Me With Science as a gift. And hmm. find that afterwards they're reading more science fiction, right? Interesting. Um, yeah, right. And Weird Western, same thing. They've given it to Western lovers, and then next thing you know, they're reading more fantasy and things like that, right? So, yeah. so yeah, it becomes kind of a gateway drug. I mean, that's kind of how it worked for me, for sure. Um, and and with with you, what I find interesting about your body of work is that you don't just operate in one or two or you know four different genres. I mean, she murdered me with science is a science fiction noir, right? And I think I would say that the Drowned Horse Chronicles and some of your other Weird West stuff is more um, horror supernatural themes plus western. Essentially, those are four genres you're you're working in, and what makes it tricky, you know, when I was in film school, we we you know, we of course you learn about genre films, and oh well, this is what's in a noir film, this is what's right. in a western film, these characters, these topics, these themes, and the typically what you what's yeah the tropes exactly, and so you're kind of mixing and matching to make your own unique story. So you know, for you when you're when you're kind of mixing and matching this, what is it that appeals to you and how have you seen success in combining the multiple genres i mean do you know is it is it a marketing thing like do you look at oh well i think this this audience is going to like x y and z paired with you know abc or do you write what what you think you would want as you mentioned that kid watching the tv show uh dinosaurs riding you know dinosaurs riding cowboys cowboys riding dinosaurs uh back when you were a kid which one kind of comes first when you're creatively inspired Um, wow. Okay. So a lot of times I will get requests for submitting to an anthology and, or an, an an open. So money is what you're saying. Money's what does it. Money's the big motivator. Money is a huge motivator, right? (laughs) That's what gets my butt in the chair in writing, right? (laughs) Sure. So, uh, but no, um, there are themes that, that come across like, oh, we need to have, um, a holiday themed anthology. And I'm like, so what do holidays look like in Drowned Horse, right? And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be more of a fantasy thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's a steampunk anthology. And I'm like, oh, I can play around with more of the sciencey elements, right? So a good cook um, can make uh, a delicious meal with three spices, right? You you Mm -hmm. put 
you, you go, you, you have a choice of three spices and uh, you have to do this fish, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's only salt and pepper and one other thing, cayenne or something of that nature, right? And a chef can, can be able to do that, right? So yeah. when you're working with core uh, genres such as uh, a Western, a mystery, a horror, right? Mm-hmm. You have a rack of spices. When you cross genre, you add an additional group of spices that you didn't have to work right. with, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it allows you to make a more rich palette, right? A more rich flavor profile. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, it's about lunchtime here. Um, right. so, <laughs> a lot of food analogies, but it's working. It's working for yeah. you. Run with that. So, I love it. so um, you have more rich flavor palette when it comes to writing, right? And so you choose the spices that are going to accent the story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, the story, um, uh, Kit Carson and the Toadmen of the Rio Gila. That's in yep. Drop Horse, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of spices to work with there. It was going mm-hmm. in a steampunk anthology, which meant that I had sciencey things, right? I have Kit Carson, who is this controversial character, right? The real mm-hmm. man versus the dime novels, right? What mm-hmm. character am I going to write him to be? And where am I going to set him in his life, right? Yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm going to put him towards the end of his life as a person who who has been constantly dealing with this um, celebrity-ness mm-hmm. uh, that he himself rejected repeatedly, right? Mm-hmm. And I've written Carson a couple of times, and I, and I love writing him as a character, uh, mm-hmm. controversial or not. He, he He's less controversial in hindsight than he mm-hmm. was at the time. Um, right. but, but, you know, so that adds some palette to it. And I'm like, what do, what, what do I put him up against, uh, that is going to satisfy a reader? And I couldn't just put him up against like prairie pirates or something that may have actually shown up in one of the dime novels or something like that. So I'm like Toadman. Mm-hmm. Toadman. Hmm. I said that rolls off the tongue really well. There's a Kit Carson versus the Toadman. And mm-hmm. I'm like, but that's not pulpy enough. Right? Right. Like if right. we're gonna go pulp, let's go full mm-hmm. pulp. And right. so I'm looking, it's like, where would I have Toadman? Oh, how about the river Gila? Gila meaning lizard, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. um I'm like, oh, this all just kind of came together, right? And so mm-hmm. I I started playing around with what are the sciency elements, what are the fantasy elements, what are the real elements, and so forth. And and it, it gave me the chance to write a story that I still is one of my favorite stories. I love this story, not only because it introduces uh, William Ragsdale, who's going to become this really important character, not only through the first book, but in later books as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this idea of um, this story has everything it's got romance it's Mm. got weird devices it's got you know it's got everything 
Yeah. And it's got Toadmen, you know, and it's how can you go wrong? How can you go wrong with a with a race of Toadmen, uh, you know, who are capturing who are capturing women to make them their their brides, their breeders, and mm-hmm. you have heroes coming in to rescue them and stuff like that. Which you know, in in I also had to make sure that I had strong, you know, the the female, the romantic uh, person was also a strong person and she gets to do some rescuing as well and so forth. Right. Like I don't like passive characters. Uh, All my characters are always active. Passivity does not work for me. Well, and that's it. You know, I'm glad you brought that up as an example, because that story stuck out to me as having all of those elements. And I didn't realize that there were I didn't think of it as having steampunk elements because it's early on in the book where I was kind of getting used to the feel of the stories you were writing. But, you know, you have one character in there who's Justin Jeremiah Janikowski, who he's kind of like Batman-esque in a way. He's got these very steampunky inventions. And, you know, not Batman as much as Q from Bond. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's the inventor character. Right. Yeah. But he uses them as well, though. Right. I mean, he's he's still. Well, executing what he what he did was he invented a a nail gun in the old west using a Gatling gun. Right. Yeah. So so he's kind of the he's kind of this um, uh, gadgeteer. Right. Using a term Mm -hmm. from Deadlands. Uh, He's a gadgeteer and uh, he makes these gadgets, the the, um, music. a uh, little, little mechanical orchestra and the yeah, grappling right. hook and all this stuff like that, right? And it's not so much that he is there to use them himself, though he does. It's more that um, he's an inventor and he can't settle unless he invents something. If he thinks of it, he's got to invent it, right? Yeah. Uh, he himself is not particularly a hero, um, but <laughs> right, sure, he can support the heroes around him, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I will tell you, you know, you talk about being settled. Uh, on the video version of this, I'm watching your background, and every now and again, this skeleton that's in your background that you've oh, obfuscated yeah. with this picture will pop into frame. And it's funny because it's just a skeleton in your background, which is, you know, is it yeah, human, that's, is that's it plastic? Uh, uh, who knows, you know? Yeah, that's, um, that, that's Jack. He's uh, he's doing the Blair Witch timeout. Uh, so yeah, uh, I love it. it keeps popping in. I love it. It's great. Yeah. He, uh, so I got him when I was doing a temp job, uh, at a, at a medical school and they were selling these skeletons and I'm like, I need a skeleton. Uh, yeah. but, uh, he's an old skeleton. His hips broken and I don't have yeah. the money to get him in for surgery. So he just yeah. kind of hangs there right now. <laughs> um, popping in and out of existence. Yeah. So, uh, well, and the other thing I like about Drowned Horse is you mentioned, you know, another distinction that you that I didn't pick up until you mentioned it was that, you know, it's not the the horror elements. You do have a story with a vampire in it, but you do a lot of um, it's not folklore, but it's it's you look at other cultures, the interesting like mythological creatures in each individual culture, and then you bring them to life in this city. Uh, I think my favorite is the Spr- Sprigum. I think it's how you pronounce it, but Spr- it's the Spriggan. Spring yeah, time. like that. I'd never heard of that before. I, I had to look everything up while I was reading, but um, <laughs> I, I like that a lot. I was a fan of the TV show Supernatural, and they right. would always pride themselves on bringing in real folklore into their stories. And in some ways, you kind of did that similarly, but with a totally different, you know, bag of tricks. Right. Yeah. Well, and exactly Supernatural or any uh, any of the um, 
uh, a Kolchak, which by the way, I have a story coming out in Kolchak anthology. Um, oh, great. I'll, oh, I'll great. That as well right now. Yeah, um, please. so yeah, there's a lot of folklore out there. So, um, the idea behind drowned horse, and it is certainly mentioned, um, as a suspicion by, mm-hmm. uh, Sheriff Forrest is mm-hmm. that people bring their demons with them like carry-on luggage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Drowned Horse, those demons manifest. So if you have somebody from a culture, mm-hmm. they're going to bring their culture-specific mythology with them. And that idea comes from, the, from, from thinking about what it was like to be a settler, right? right. You, you come from another country, for example, let's just say Poland, right? You come from Poland and you're in America and you go west, right? Yeah. Nobody knew what was out there, right? Like there was, mm-hmm. you know, expeditions and there was things like that. But it was a lot of territory and nobody had covered all of it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, you hear a bump in the night and yeah. you don't think about what we think about now. Oh, that's a werewolf or whatever, right? You think right. about yep. what a werewolf would be in your culture, right? Mm-hmm. What would be the equivalent yep. of that, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes these rumors would get back and they would bring them e- even more to the West with them. So when we we look at the melting pot that the West was, you have some people coming from the East over the the Chinese and and, and Japanese and other Asians uh, coming to work the rail lines, right? Um, and they're coming from the east and they're bringing their mythology. You have people who um, have come from Europe, coming from the we- uh, uh, west, he- uh, western, you know, hemis- coming uh, to the old west, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so you have this. Um, just this blending of all of these mythologies and yeah, it's important to represent cultures, uh, mm-hmm. even the dark side of them accurately yeah. or as accurately as you can within the context of fiction. So yeah, yeah I'm not going to go, I mean, yeah, there'll be some classic, right. But, um, but like, for example, you know, when I did a vampire in this particular, uh, volume, it is, it is not your typical vampire. It is a Irish based vampire, right? Mm-hmm. The, the dares do, um, which I probably ruined that pronunciation, but it's as close as I can get. Right. It's all right. Uh, yeah. And so it is a very specific vampire in volume two. You're going to meet a very specific Chinese vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have more of a classic vampire in volume three. Right. Because guess what? Volume three is getting really close to the 1900s. And mm-hmm. we've got the publishing of Bram Stoker's Dracula. And right. so now I can introduce the classic vampire because it's part of the collective now. Right. Right. So yeah. I don't want to do all of the, you know, classic monsters right off the bat, I want to, I want to lead to some of that stuff. 
I think it's a great point, David, because, you know, a lot of the stuff you're doing feels very new. Uh, and, and some of that stuff's been done, you know, t- to death, some of these classic monsters. But I like the, the new stuff you're kind of bringing into it and infusing your stories uh, with a very authentic and unique feel. And hopefully someday, maybe your collection will be part of the collective that other people will be referring to. But we can't do that without pushing some paper. So what are the books? Where can people find them? Where can people find you if they want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing? Well, um, uh, davidboop.com or longshot-productions.com or .net, sorry, longshotproductions.net. Um, you know, I, David Boop, author, Googled, will find me. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I am uh, I'm the on Instagram, there? though I haven't learned how to use it yet. It's just kind of sitting there. Uh, so I still have what, what are the handles? What are the handles on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram? So uh, Facebook is um, uh, D is in David Boop dot updates. D Boop okay. dot updates. And uh, Twitter is just at David underscore Boop. And I'm pretty sure Instagram is just uh, David dot Boop as well. Uh, but again, there isn't, there's only six of me in the country and, and most of the other ones are either doctors or mechanics or something. Right. So, (laughs) so, you know, there's a reason I kept my real name. Uh, I am probably going to start using some, uh, other known diplomas for other things I write, such as children's books and stuff. But, um, but, uh, I'm, I'm easy enough to find, um, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, that's a part of being an author. You can't make yourself difficult to find, right? Well, you shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, no, you definitely shouldn't. And we'll, I'll put links to the books we talked about. She murdered me with science, uh, the, the drowned horse chronicles, uh, the straight out of series. I'll put all yep. that up there. Uh, Com- of course, comes out uh, October, October 25th. Oh, yeah. right on Halloween, uh, close to Halloween. Yep. Uh, yep. And, uh, uh it'll be available ebook and, uh, paperback trade paperback and then uh look for the audio uh next year so great i love it and i'm i feel very honored that i got to read it uh before anybody well not for anybody else but before the listeners and trust me it is a great read i highly recommend it and of course if you want to find this show fascinating nouns is the website uh twitter at fascinating noun facebook at fascinating nouns and of course uh if you want to watch the video version of this it is youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. Uh, but David, this has just been a, a, just a fantastic interview. Uh, and, and I'm so glad I stumbled across you because not only are you my new favorite author, um, but, but David, but, but the weird West is my new favorite, my, my sub genre, uh, that, that, that is, that is all that I'm reading now. So thank you for that. And, and, and thank you for all your hard work and thanks for being on the show today. Thank you very much. Got it. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. 
you're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.